0: Have you wondered about living elsewhere after you retire? Well, we have, almost daily. As you know, it's not an overnight decision. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about places to consider living in during your retirement. We started this show for selfish reasons, because we will be retiring in the next few years, but we're not sure where. Then a light bulb went off in Jean's head. What are others doing? With so many baby boomers retiring, there must be many relocating. So we decided, let's connect with them and pick their brains. But first, a little background. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney and practicing higher ed law at a college who loves working with students, faculty, and staff.
1: I am not Asian, born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I am a law librarian working in a court who loves his job. We've lived in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, New York for many years, and have been thinking about our future home.
0: So we'll be speaking to folks from around the country, and now around the world, who have moved to venues of their dreams and more. And we will share their stories. And we will share their intimate secrets. no. I'm just kidding, Gene. But we will provide information that you may not find anywhere else. So stay tuned. Good evening, everyone. We have a special episode today. We are covering our first Asian country, Bali, Indonesia. Now, it's not our first foray into the Asian continent, right, Gene?
1: That's right. We, We covered Israel a few weeks ago, and Israel, believe it or not, is part of the Asian continent. Now, I didn't know that. I thought I was going to apply to be a contestant on Jeopardy, but I guess that, that's not going to happen, Gil.
0: Okay, well, there we go. Another <laughs> lost financial opportunity, Gene. That's our life. So Bali is exactly 12 hours ahead of New York. And until a few days ago, I had the wrong date in our calendar, as I hadn't properly taken into account the time zone difference. <laughs> and we call ourselves professionals. <laughs> okay, Okay. we're still working on this. Indonesia is the third most populated country in Asia, with 273 million people, and only about 1.5% reside in Bali. However, there are about 4,000 U.S. expats in Bali. So about today's special guest, here's a little background.
1: Neil was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, the best place to be from. He has a bachelor's degree from the Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, and a master's from the University of Oregon. He was an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley and developed software as a company founder, as well as a product user experience designer. Neil's still working, though it sounds like a paradise. It really does. He owns a boutique hotel in Bali and handles the online side of the business. He also fixes things when he's able. Neil's interests include daily walks, reading, and as he notes, keeping up with the world, which I guess you can do from anywhere these days, Gil.
0: Yeah, that's the beauty of the digital nomad, as well (laughs) as during COVID, all the remote activity. But I wish we weren't in the basement of our Brooklyn apartment. (laughs)
1: Brooklyn <laughs> uh, home you mean Brooklyn home. Oh, <laughs> Brooklyn home
0: but we are in the basement that's where our recording studio <laughs> is right next to the washer and dryer all right so Neil <laughs> welcome to retire there with Gil and Jean we are so thrilled to have you um, now I just want to note that it is um, a little after 10 p.m so if I start to fall asleep is because, (laughs) you know, I'm getting used to falling asleep earlier these days. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um,
2: Yeah, you're a night bird.
0: Yeah. So, Neil Kramer, thank you for joining our show. Tell us, how did you wind up in Bali?
2: Hello there. Thank you for having me. Um, It was a circuitous route. I had, uh, in 2015, uh, gone to Thailand for a month to check it out you know, with with some thoughts about retiring. Uh, But really that was my first visit to Asia. Um, And then 2016, I uh, went again for a month, but this time to Vietnam and Cambodia, uh, three weeks in Vietnam, one week in Cambodia. And then in 2017, uh, one month in Bali. So after three years of this, uh my experience in Bali was such a tremendous experience that while I was there for a month, I actually bought a villa, uh, even though I was still based in the US. So I bought the villa, came back to America and started to pack up and and get an estate sale and sell. 98% of my things, and came to Bali with two very large bags and a backpack, and I've been here ever since.
0: So did you say that you were working in Bali, and then you just decided to buy a villa?
2: Not working, <laughs> just Came to Bali, like I came to Thailand and Vietnam, uh, I came to visit, you know, not to work. I mean, I have a retirement visa Mm -hmm. and technically I'm not working, but uh, running the hotel, doing the online stuff is, I I guess, would be called a hobby.
0: (laughs) Okay, Is this part of the Silicon Valley profile? (laughs) You guys are so just daring and entrepreneurial.
2: Uh, Well, you know, uh, that's a good question. I think a lot of entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley uh, get stuck there because once you have a success, and my success was very small. I sold a software company, but we were only like four people. Uh, We had a good return considering, but it was nothing that even made the news because in Silicon Valley, selling a company has to be in the – Hundreds of millions or billions for it to be news, but when you do sell a company, the first thing that people ask you is, "What are you going to do next?" and 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 the answer would be something you know technological, something a new company, uh, and and could I make a bigger company? Can I get a bigger exit? Uh, You know that kind of thing, And, and it's um it's it's its own treadmill in a way. So, um, once I had my fill with Silicon Valley, I, I didn't really want to stay there. Um, and so then the options are, you know, do I want to, uh, move somewhere else in the U S or do I want to leave the U S entirely?
0: Okay. I am curious. Um, you were born and raised in Brooklyn. Was it college that brought you out to the West coast?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I started with uh, accounting because my parents wanted me to be an accountant and I didn't know what I wanted to be and and they were only high school educated. Um, but after one year of college, we kind of had a uh, falling out in the parking lot uh, of, of the dormitory um, when they came to visit no. uh, because I wanted to do uh, courses like... Um, Uh, actually one was eastern philosophy which opened me up to other ways of thinking Mm -hmm. asian ways that i didn't even you know i don't know if it had an effect on my decision to move to asia (laughs) but uh that was uh, one class one another one was abnormal psychology because i thought you know (laughs) know, what is what is normal because my parents you know you know be an accountant that's a normal thing to do and (laughs) And, you know, you look at the, the wanted ads, an accountant was pretty early on into the job listing. So yeah. I think for them, it was a very practical thing. But for me, you know, when, when they when they took me when I was maybe 10 or 12, they took me to a test for my future um, career uh, just to get a sense, you know, what, what does their son want? And it turned out to be novelist or architect. And they hated both of those answers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, i think they may have wanted a refund because uh, <laughs> architect you know involves a very uh you know, lengthy career yeah, you know yeah. Uh, yeah, getting getting ready years. for that mm-hmm. uh, you know and novelists forget about it because that's one in a million yeah. so accountant you know was like okay you know yeah. i think there's a lot of accounting jobs <laughs> out there so Neil will find something you know with that. So once I kind of broke away from my parents' influence, uh, I left college after that first year. Mm -hmm. I did do the abnormal psychology and the Eastern philosophy course, uh, which was great, but I guess not practical. And then I, you know, luckily taught tennis because uh, I had learned tennis at a camp. And nobody cared about tennis. But then by the time I finished my one year of school, college, a lot of people wanted to to learn uh, tennis. And fortunately, in our area uh, in Brooklyn, a tennis bubble um, complex opened. Um, So I was able to teach and earn um, something like uh, $10 an hour for a private lesson. And that was in like 1970 three or so. So my friends were earning maybe $2 an hour and I was earning (laughs) 10. And then I was an entrepreneur then because some of the people I taught, they were paying 60 an hour. And I asked them, would they like to learn on a private, uh, in a public court for 25 an hour, which was not really totally kosher to do, but I took a few of my favorite uh, clients off the private uh, court to a public court, they saved money and I made 25 instead of 10. Wow. So, with that money, I went abroad. I, uh, I, I bought a URL pass. I thought I'd be gone for two weeks um, throughout Europe, but I ended up staying uh, abroad five and a half months when I was uh, 17 years old after my first year of college. I started college a little young because I skipped a year of uh, high school, actually. Mm-hmm. I went from eighth grade to tenth grade which was oh, a mistake,
0: Yeah. <laughs> in any I, I case, that, 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 mm-hmm.
2: that gave me the travel bug. And in fact, when I did go abroad then, and I met so many people from all over the world, I promised myself that one day I would live in another country, uh, but I didn't do it until I was about 60 years old. <laughs> so it was a pretty big delay, you know, marriage and yeah, a child yeah. and, a career happened to get in the way of that, <laughs> but, but, but didn't really get in the way. It was more like I, I pushed that decision yeah. down and let other things become a priority.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting, the the road that we take and the little segues that come
1: along the way, right? Mm-hmm.
0: It's like True. our jobs get in the way of our new podcast. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> But it, it's interesting, you mentioned that um, before you moved to Bali, you had an estate sale. A lot of people they have trouble getting rid of stuff and they they call they maybe call 800 1-800-JUNK or they have garage sales or they give stuff away you're the first person we've uh come across that has hasn't had an estate sale i thought that was brilliant um i just have a question when when they're done selling everything the stuff that's left do they do they take care of that or do you have to get rid of it
2: no they take care of everything that's part of the, the beauty of it is that You're able to, once you sign the contract, you're able to leave. You don't have to be in the state or in the country. Um, And anything that's left over goes to charity. Uh, You know, know, one of the things about that is you should meet the estate sale people, which I did before I left, um, and and assess, you know, are these people on the level? Are they honest? Try to get some references Mm -hmm. if you can. Because once you're gone, they will sell everything, and they're supposed to give you, in my case, 50 percent. And they did send me a check in on the order of five thousand and change. Of course, I had some paintings and things that, you know, had I looked at the retail value of everything, you know, it's not a big number, but I was I was okay with that number because. You know, in an estate sale, if, if you have a thousand dollar painting, it may go for a hundred dollars, uh, you know, because they're, you know, they have to move everything, they have to mm-hmm. sell everything, yeah. so they can't try to get high prices for things. Uh, but, you know, it, it helped me in my, you know, paid for my plane ticket and more. I think my plane ticket was twelve hundred, thirteen hundred. So the five thousand came in handy, but it reduced my possessions to very, very, very little. <laughs>
0: so it sounds like you're not the type of person who who's too attached to things, right? Because you just kind of said, "Hey, estate sale people, take care of this," and um, you you were ready to board and and leave. I mean,
2: leave the country. Yeah, I mean, I, I I am I do get attached. To certain things, and it was a difficult decision to hire the estate person. And I had done some investigation about sending my stuff to Bali. You know, my my closest p- possessions or my most uh, you know my most uh, endearing type things that I wanted to hold on to. But I created a small box to give to my son, who's currently in the U.S. Uh, a, a padded box that's easily um you know that, that could store well for many years uh, and I filled it with memorabilia and old photos and some documents that are you know even though I might have taken a digital file of it it might be my grandmother's birth certificate or something wow. like that um and things of that type that were I had I went through all my stuff to kind of Pull out one box full, and my ex-wife is holding that for my son. And when my son gets old enough to get his own place, uh, she'll give it to him, or I will if I'm there. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah, and, and you know, it, it is a, if you are going to be an expat, you know, the, the main decision is: do you want to move your stuff, or do you want to sell your stuff? Mm-hmm. And in the case of selling, you know, I would recommend holding on to a few things, one box or two boxes. I wouldn't get crazy and you know, give people half a dozen boxes to, to look after for, for your benefit because you don't want to put your burden onto somebody else.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So talk to us about Bali. Where exactly hmm. are you and what, what's it like?
2: I'm in southern Bali in a tourist area uh, next to Canggu, uh, which is, uh, I would call it a hipster community. Uh, primarily um, younger people from all over the world. And it's a very heavy digital nomad community. So there's a lot of um, uh, co-working type facilities. So people could pay a monthly fee or a daily fee to come there and get the Wi-Fi and then they'll have some coffee or whatever and they'll mingle. And sometimes there's events, especially pre-COVID, there's a lot of events where people could talk to groups and, and things like that. I've attended a few of those. And, uh, you know, Bali is an island. It's primarily Hindu in, in a Muslim country. As you mentioned, it's the third largest Asian country. I think it's the fourth largest pop, populous con, populated country in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have China, India, America, and Indonesia. Um, primarily Muslim, like I said, Um, but Bali is its own culture within Indonesia. There's something like 17,000 islands, so it's a massive archipelago. Um, And so you've got hundreds of different languages. You've got a broad swath of people from Christian to Hindu to Muslim to everything, Mm -hmm. Um, but the Balinese are unique because they, even though we had Dutch, they had Dutch, um, uh, uh, the Dutch colonized Bali in in I think the 1800s, they refused to give up their way of life. So the Dutch had to, in fact, what happened is when they arrived, uh, the, the kings, there's seven regions, and so there were seven kings. Uh, when they got to Bali, there was a massive uh, suicide uh, with kings and 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 their their wives, their 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 servants. And rather than face the Dutch and change their life, they 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 decided to kill themselves. Once that happened, the Dutch decided to still colonize but really work with the Balinese to try to preserve the culture to the best way they could. Wow.
0: That is so so interesting.
2: Yeah. So once Indonesia became independent, uh, it was a lot easier for Bali to assert itself as a really unique culture. And the benefit of the Dutch was really that all seven regions united. So now, Before the Dutch, there was some skirmishes and and some violence, if if there were some resource issues or territorial issues. But now it's a very spiritual, very peaceful island. Uh, They pray for almost everything. If they buy a new scooter, they're going to have a ceremony. Uh, (laughs) uh, They're going to have a ceremony for intersections of certain roads, uh, for safety. Uh, There's just prayers about everything and it's a very colorful culture very tolerant culture and it's just really phenomenal to, to be around them my builder for my hotel was Balinese I could have chosen uh, like an Australian builder I've uh, had an easier time with English but paid more because I'd be dealing with a foreigner Mm -hmm. But I wanted to get involved with the Balinese, so I chose a Balinese builder. And it turned out to be great. We're actually friends. I tried to pass them on to other people.
0: Okay. I just want to let our audience know that that, uh, sound in the back, uh, Neil explained earlier is construction. So if you guys hear that, um, I know it sounded like, uh, some dogs in the back earlier, but it's not something that we're able to control. So, um, uh, but once Neil speaks, we can hear him fine. I just wanted to let people know not to get, um, <laughs> you know, wondering where, where that's coming from. Okay. Sorry, Neil.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry about that, but no no problem. Uh, one one aspect of living in a tourist area is even even during COVID, we've had continu- continual construction, which is, I guess, a good sign that people are hopeful that Bali will return to to normal, and most likely it will. And how and, and, has that
0: affected your hotel business?
2: I mean, terribly, uh, we've had something like 5%, uh, not uh, of all hotels in Bali has had something like 5% occupancy or less during, during the COVID. There's been no international flights for almost a year. Uh, oh, wow. There are local flights coming from Jakarta. Um, and so if you're desperate, uh, foreigners go into jakarta and then they take a a domestic flight but they have to go through quarantine and all the normal things Uh, um but the but the uh, tourist numbers are down you know over 90 percent now there's talk of a green zone a a a green corridor between some countries coming in uh, china maybe singapore uh, where they can go to designated parts of Bali that have been uh, where, where, the, where the COVID is very, very light. We don't have it too heavily here, but we have it. So um, unlike New Zealand, which is virus-free, you know, we have COVID here. So if we have tourism, they want to limit the areas where, where, where tourists can go. But it hasn't been fully resolved yet. But, but okay. we're hopeful, you know, the vaccines here... Mm-hmm. slowly but surely yeah. people are getting vaccinated
1: okay okay and you you mentioned that your hotel it's called the ohana retreat bali and mm-hmm. um it's in you said it's next to changu what, what town are you in
2: we're in pereran and okay. there's a special way of saying it pereran uh the indonesian mm-hmm. way that i still have trouble with so i can't say the name <laughs> of my own town
1: and, and what made you decide to build a hotel?
2: Uh, well, my initial uh, plan was to this this villa I bought, which I had sold. Since then, I was going to go into the villa, which I did, and and retire. and And so I started uh, reading on my uh, veranda, looking at the rice fields. I actually <laughs> switched from e books and. And screens to paper paper books, and sat there and had my tea and looked out and and got into the peacefulness of Bali, the beauty of Bali, and had a little private pool there and and a little garden, and it was absolutely um, idyllic. Uh, but after about six months, I sort of it was like, okay, you know, tomorrow, I guess I wake up and read again, and <laughs> <laughs> next day, I read more. Um, so I'm I like guess it. I got, I don't, I don't want to say bored, but I just started thinking, you know, what else is there do in Bali? And we started driving around and found next to Chenggu is uh, uh It's, it's, it's west, uh, slightly. And we found a piece of land that was owned by uh, Russians. They had bought it seven years ago, a uh, very good price, but it had gone up substantially, but still we thought, you know, this is an up and coming area. It's not Chenggu, but it's maybe seven minutes by motor scooter uh, and it's an opportunity kind of thing. And let me try to build, which I had done after Silicon Valley, I had built some single family residences both in Sonoma County in California and uh, near Port Townsend, Washington. I had success with that. I worked with an architect to create a cool design and uh, I sold one in two days and, and I sold another in less than 30, uh, about 35 days, I wow. about a month. Wow. Uh, so that was pretty quick. And there was profit and stuff, but I didn't like the lifestyle because I would be renting. And then building something for somebody else. And then I thought, you know, then I got to do that again. Mm -hmm. And I'll be renting again somewhere else. Uh, And I didn't feel I could stabilize in in a community. And so then I started traveling, like I told you, and and Bali kind of captured my imagination. The hotel itself is maybe 6,000 or something square feet. So it's significant. My other homes were... 1600 you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and there's six rooms to sleep uh four loft rooms two normal rooms two deluxe rooms and an apartment where my partner and I uh stay and I just have a modest apartment one bedroom small living room where we where we meet the guests we get their uh, passport photos and we give them the key so they come directly into our living room. We give them a welcome drink. And then once we give them their key, we show them the room. And then they could always come by with questions about where to eat or something like that. And so we're available. But it's kind of a design decision that I made so that I could interact with these guests. Because one of the things that is really incredible about Bali is the, the world. It's a world-class destination. And to give you an example, we were open June of 2019, uh, mostly uh, living through the pandemic, but still, given the pandemic, we've had visitors from 31 different countries, which wow. to me is uh, cool. real fun. It's real exciting.
1: Yeah, you have you have great reviews online.
2: People oh, you, thank they, you. Yeah, they, yeah. They yeah. they, I, they I, rave well, about you and Shelly. Yeah. 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 Oh, thank you. Well, I I this is all uh, intentional because I didn't want to have a hotel where I was sort of like living in another villa and having a management team and that kind of thing. I don't even, I wouldn't even want something like that. So this is a, I, it's kind of a, it's kind of a premium guest house slash boutique hotel. It's, it's kind of two things because it's not a normal hotel where you have a reception area and you're only dealing with staff. When people come to us, they're, they're dealing with the owners from the beginning and we're here for them and they know that. So people who like that kind of personalized service, uh, you know, we can get scooters for them. We could rent bicycles for them. You know, we, we help them out, you know, getting nice. car rentals, pick up at the airport. So we do whatever service we can and they know that you know, if something breaks in the room I'm going to come there within minutes. Uh, if I can't fix it, I'll, I'll get somebody to come within 24 hours if I can, that kind of thing. And that, and that leads to some of the reviews that you've read probably. Mm-hmm.
0: So are you walking distance to the town? Like, can I walk a block yeah. or so to get a cup of coffee? How does that?
2: Yep. Right, right around a block away is a restaurant. Um, we have a little shared kitchen slash mini restaurant here but you have to order one day in advance uh, but if you just want to live here uh, you wake up you walk uh, maybe two minutes one to two minutes and you get to a cafe uh, there's some other restaurants within walking distance and if you if you like walking it would be about 12 minutes to get to the beach oh where there's some also some places to eat and then further away maybe 15 to 20 is an actual uh, beach resort that has like a day club where you could uh, hang out for the day, and eat there. And then they have sort of ambient music a little bit more for the younger crowd, but but it's considered like a, a, a destination place so that would be less than 20 minutes by, by foot. Mm-hmm. So we're next to some of that action. But we're much sleepier than than Changu, there's you know, it's a hot spot. There's a lot going on.
1: It's funny. I was reading online talking of beaches that you you miss um, Stinson Beach in Marin County in California. How do you compare that beach to the beach in um, Bali? Uh,
2: Stinson Beach would be a kind of a small little gem. It's actually pretty sizable. But you would get, you know, 50, 60 people out there on that beach, except for maybe July 4th, where you might get a couple of hundred. But in Bali, beaches can have thousands of people, especially oh, wow. Kuta. You know, if you go to Kuta, there could be along a stretch of maybe a mile you know, a few thousand people. And in any little spot, there might be 100 or something like that, or 60. But it just goes on and on, hotel after hotel. And in the evenings, they actually set up music uh, stands so that you can walk from music <laughs> venue to music venue. Oh, wow. little walk along the beach and, and have access to six or seven different bands uh, within a 10-minute walk. This was all pre-COVID. So that's the heart of uh, the tourist area, Kuta. And then Canggu, we would have, um, you know, a few hundred people down at the beach there. And then if you come towards us, and maybe, you know, 30 people on the beach any one time. Uh, we, we do have these events from by the Balinese, which are kite festivals. And then you get several hundred uh uh spectators and and tons of competition with different size kites different activities that the kites do different flying patterns and it's really exciting to see Mm. that but but stinson is kind of a it's a lovely beach north of san francisco maybe 40 minutes very windy road to get there Mm -hmm. but once you're there you kind of feel you're away from it all and it's a little bit isolated and there might be times when there's only 10 or 20 people on the whole beach. If you go further up to Point Reyes it's a massive beach and there might only be 50 people you know out there. It's a national recreational uh, uh, center area. Yeah. Uh, Yeah so it's not very populated at all but but there's millions of people in Bali and and Throughout the tourist year, you might get four or five million tourists a year coming to Bali during pre-COVID. But now it's very slow. All my partners here. I'm so Hi, Hi, Shelly. How are you? Nice to meet
1: you.
0: Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I just do gardening. She
2: does gardening.
0: She's growing Well, thank you for emailing. And... <laughs> <laughs> See you, Alexa. See you bye later. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: I have a question about... Um, <laughs> Cost of living in Bali. Mm. Uh, you wrote a book. It's co- available on Amazon. It's called "Retire in Bali." Retire for fifteen hundred dollars US a month. Is that yeah. is that the case? You can reti- You can live on fifteen hundred a month.
2: You can. I mean, if you follow the recipe, I guess I, I gave um, you. You know, you could have housing costs as low as. Five or six hundred dollars a month to get a small villa. If you were to share, you can get a bigger villa for the same about the same cost. Uh, You know, it includes things like having a scooter instead of a car. So, with a scooter, you're talking about, you know, a purchase of uh, eleven, twelve hundred dollars, and then a monthly cost of maybe ten,
1: fifteen.
2: Uh, my phone, uh, which is a cell, which is the provider here, uh, about $3 a month. You get two gig two gigabytes. Wow. $3? $3? Wow. <laughs> yeah, th- oh, my 36, goodness. Th- 36,000 rupiah. And right now it's about 14,000 rupiah per dollar. Mm-hmm. So it's under $3. Okay. Because Indonesians... Uh, the average salary here is about two million seven hundred thousand per month. So it's uh, two hundred and something dollars per month is the average uh-huh. salary. So it's a state-supported uh, phone company, mm-hmm. and the same thing with electricity. Now, in my case of electricity, I have to pay a high minimum because I the, the way they charge you is. They, they assess your total needs. So let's say if all my rooms are full and all my lights are on and all the air conditioning is on, mm-hmm. what would I need? And, and, and then they base that, they discount that uh, to a base fee. but that comes out to about 2,200, so uh, 150 dollars a month, something like that for my electric. But that's running a hotel. For, yeah. for an individual mm-hmm. coming yeah. here electricity might be a month you know 40 to forty to eighty dollars a month including mm-hmm. aircon maybe a hundred at the most mm-hmm. so you've got internet which is next to nothing now home internet is not next to nothing but it could be forty dollars a month 30 or 40 well, let's say 40 for high speed and you know a scooter and a phone and uh, renting. Uh, owning is different because you if you want to be near the beach, you could pay two or three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand US for a home. But if you want to rent away away from the beach, you know, you could be looking at a three bedroom home with a pool, with housekeeping, gardening, all that stuff for maybe twelve hundred to fifteen hundred dollars. Wow. So it's a different scale. Now, that sounds low, but if you're an Indonesian, uh, they they pay, for example, when they come and work, they leave their village typically, come to a tourist area, stay in what's called a cost, K-O-S-T, and pay $800,000 to $900,000 per month. So $1,400,000 is $100. So they're paying $70 to $80 per month to sleep. And for that they get a room with like one light bulb and, and a, a toilet where that's a squat toilet. And then they have to get their own internet, which is only three or four dollars a month. But that's the base, the base lifestyle here for a local. So they're paying $70, and we're talking about four or five, six hundred dollars a month for a villa. So it's a different structure, mm-hmm. you know, it's a different aesthetic. Um but we're paying massive amounts, even at five, six hundred dollars a month, compared to the locals. So that's how you can sort of keep it keep it in perspective. So Neil,
0: can you talk to us about healthcare? Um, yeah, what's available, and if there's, um, you know, let's say I'm there for a month or two, and I have an emergency, do I need to worry?
2: Yeah. So healthcare in Bali is good for Indonesian standards. Uh, There's several private hospitals where the doctors have all been trained uh, using uh, by going to Western uh, universities and and medical schools. So they come back to their home country uh, and practice. And, And so I've met, I've had a few conditions. I go to a dermatologist. She's wonderful, fluent English colonies, but went outside her country for education. I had a urologist, uh, also same story. So uh, it's good. Uh, If you have something very unusual or rare disease, uh, they probably don't have leading edge. Actually, they don't have leading edge healthcare here. So in that case, you might have to go to Singapore, which under normal conditions would be, I don't know, three hour flight, something like that. Um, So you have to decide if you're gonna be an expat and live in a third world country, you know, to what extent you feel comfortable with the the healthcare here. For, for, you know, most conditions, they can help you here. Uh, uh even cancer and, and things of all type they, they can help you here but if you have uh unusual blood type and something happens to you uh that's rare for example then you know you might be better off living in a first world country mm-hmm. well, or uh, research. My, my, and, yeah. yeah my health is good um i'm 63 um and the way I handle healthcare personally is I did start with insurance. It was kind of expensive because I've had melanoma. So I have a pre-existing condition, and that bumps my cost up. So what I do now is I just set aside $250 every month. I have a cash account. And I consider that money not mine and it's, it's the hospital's money, uh, but it's, it's sort of like a little bit of a health plan where I'm, you know, making sure I always have a certain amount of cash ready. Now, in terms of fees, uh, there's three tiers of, of fees here. There's the local price there's the tourist prize, and then there's the kitas prize, which is sort of a long-term resident prize. Kitap and kitas, they're basically words that mean uh, resident. I'm not a citizen, but I have kind of a long-term resident status, so I don't have to update my my kitas uh, except for annually. So every year I have to get fingerprinted, and go through immigration and get uh, my next year's worth of residency. And that also gives me other benefits besides hospital, uh, cultural institutions. I can show my key tests and I can pay less. Not not that they're very costly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The average cultural place here might be $5 and I might pay $2. -hmm. Um, But hospitals are a big ticket item. So it's good to have the key test price. Uh, so I, for example, I had a, um, cat scan because I had a cyst on my kidney. I'm just going to give you an example. Mm-hmm. And it was about 7 million rupees, So one million five hundred, in the range of $450, to $500 for a cat scan. Mm-hmm. Now in the U S under Obama care, I had, uh, on my face, a melanoma, uh, not melanoma, but it was a, 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 sort of like a, a, a spot. So they used a little free freezing, mm-hmm. like a can of freeze. Yes. That freeze and they shot my skin with that. Right. And my deductible was $195. The whole procedure took like 10 seconds, something mm-hmm. like that. But of course they checked my face and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But it was still $195 deductible for me. Mm-hmm. So... You know that versus a CAT scan, where you're under a machine that's you know million dollar machine from Philips or whatever, for five hundred under five hundred dollars is still a good price yeah. to get a CAT scan.
1: Expats are not covered by Indonesian healthcare program, right?
2: Correct. There's local health only for for locals for resident uh, for citizens, and if you're outside outside of that, you're going to be in some kind of visa category. So a tourist visa, for example, that lasts up to 60 days, they would pay full retail price for healthcare, which would still be within the Indonesian pricing system, but it might be double what I pay, or maybe okay. 40% higher than what I pay. And so I about, get a discount.
0: What yeah. about pharmacies? Um, do you need a prescription every time? or Because we've heard in other countries. Uh, yeah,
2: I mean... It, yeah, I have some allergies. So, for example, I had um, one of those vaporizer things. But when I want to get a new one, I don't have to present a prescription. I could just show the old one and, and they, they would just sell me a new one. And pills and medication are expensive, but, but not crazy expensive. And there's two types of pharmacies in, in Indonesia. One's called Apotec, which is where the locals go. And then there's uh, more of the, you know, looking like 7-Eleven kind of pharmacy where the lights are really bright and, and it's very polished. And that's uh, like usually Guardian. I think they might be an English or an Australian company. And, and they sell the same stuff, <laughs> but a lot for a lot more money. And they'll have more variety. But for example, if something's wrong with you and you're a local, you don't go buy a, a box of pills. You go buy a sheet of pills. So it might cost you a dollar or two dollars to get ten oh. pills. Mm-hmm. They don't have to. You don't have to buy a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. So in America, you have to buy the whole box. Right <laughs> here, here you can buy it by the sheet. Okay. So they, th- this is because if you look at the average monthly income, it makes sense to offer. Mm-hmm you know sheets instead of boxes
0: as a tourist could i um Mm -hmm. use the local yes okay so it's not just
2: yeah Yeah. and i've done that you know it's best to go with somebody who can speak english but i've had luck where even the apotechs they hire usually english-speaking workers
1: talking about speaking english do you need to speak indonesian there or can you get away with Mm -hmm. english
2: you can get away with English. Um, it's nice to have a few things that you can say to people, you know, basic phrases. Hello, good morning, uh, goodbye. Um, it's, it's just a nice gesture, but you don't need it. Now, if you want to have a conversation, I'm still struggling with Bahasa Indonesia, because even though it's uh, Roman, you know, it's a normal lettering, the words are very, very long. Um, I don't know why, but, you know, the, there's four or five syllables to many of their words. Wow. I just can't remember it. Okay. So that's a memory problem. But uh, I have an Indonesian partner, so she can translate <laughs> Lucky it. you. Always, that's yeah. always helpful. But, for example, uh, real estate, um, if you want to purchase something, you'll go to a notary instead of a lawyer And that notary will speak English. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, the document will be written in Indonesian, but they will uh, translate and offer you a translated version. The legal copy is the Bahasa Indonesian copy. The English copy is not legal, but it's good to have for understanding.
0: Now, there's also a Balinese. uh, Is that a dialect?
2: Yeah, exactly. There's, there's hundreds of dialects here of, of Indonesian. Mm-hmm. And the country being an archipelago, you could imagine all the dialects. Every island has its own yeah. you know, way of using uh, some sort of half Indonesian, half uh, ancient. Okay. So, so the Balinese so- sound different. Like my, 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 my partner, Shelley, doesn't understand Balinese. It's that different. Wow. Oh, wow.
0: So the majority yeah. of um, people who live in Bali, mm-hmm. is, is there a, I guess, is there a quote-unquote majority language?
2: Uh, Indonesian is the majority. All the Balinese. Yeah, the Balinese grow up. Yeah. Every Indonesian grows up. they It's mandatory that they learn Bahasa Indonesia. So it would be like, for example... If you're from America and you grew up in a household speaking Spanish, you go to school, you must learn English. Mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. They all have to learn Indonesian. So okay. they're all speaking usually two languages. Okay. And, um, and if, I, if, if I talk to a Balinese person, I ask them, when you go home, what do you speak? They say Balinese. Oh. They don't speak Indonesian.
0: Oh, okay. oh, interesting. Okay. Can you tell us what the um, weather
2: is like? Mm, good question. <laughs> It is warm all the time. <laughs> we are 500 miles or so from the equator. So our temperatures range from about Fahrenheit, 78 degrees, to about 100. Wow. Uh, it usually feels, with humidity, it usually feels like 98 degrees by the time it's 10 a.m. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So,
0: so right and now... Right yeah. now, you must be really hot.
2: You're outside. I have to be. Well, I'm under. I'm under shade, so I'm okay. And in the shade, it's probably eighty-five to eighty-eight degrees, mm. feeling like that.
1: You're, you're lucky. You have a pool. <laughs> yeah,
2: and, and the pool gets heated up, solar heat every day. It's never really too cold. We do have a rainy season, and in 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 the middle of that, like if you're on your scooter and you're you know, going out and it's a lovely day and then the rain comes usually for, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you will feel cool. You'll never feel cold. (laughs) It'll It'll be a cool rain, almost enjoyable, but you can get soaking wet unless you have your poncho on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and in the evenings, uh, you don't need a sweater. It can get down to 82, something like no. that. Oh,
0: down to 82, Gene.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I heard I heard yeah. it's it's cooler between June and August. Is that true?
2: Well, the range is about 12 degrees, 12 oh. minutes ah, a year. That's it. Yeah, yeah okay. it's not, okay. you know, it may go from an average of 88 to an average of 92, you know, okay. that kind of thing. Uh, we do have hills and, and small mountains, so those people mm. who live there actually get, you know, need sweaters and stuff sure. in the evening and early in the morning. Okay. But I'm down in the flats and, uh, you know, above sea level by maybe just 500 feet.
0: But is it is it humid year-round?
2: Yes, it's, okay. it's a humid weather. It feels a lot like, let's <laughs> say, Hawaii might feel, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you've makes ever sense. been there. Oh, it's great Mm-hmm. And you feel that wave of moisture in yes. the air.
0: <laughs> it's great for plants. I mean, I love. It's plants. wonderful
2: for plants, <laughs> and the plants go crazy here. You know, yeah. I built the, ho- the hotel and, and had to bring in everything, grass and everything. And within a few months, I don't know, five months or so, it was uh, lush ish. And now it's almost two years, and we have the gardeners whacking things all the time oh, because wow. it was too lush, <laughs>
0: <laughs> too lush man i would yeah. love that how far are you um to the airport
2: uh 40 45 minutes on a good day and an hour when there's tourism
0: okay and and, and
1: mm-hmm. when it, when it's not COVID, see when it's not yeah. COVID, can you get a direct flight to the u.s
2: no you must go either through beijing or singapore Uh, those are the two main hubs Mm -hmm. Um, Beijing is probably the primary one but I wish there was a flight to LA or San Francisco but there isn't
0: so then how long you could even go
2: the the other way you could even go to Qatar and then from Qatar you can Mm -hmm. go to New York for example Mm -hmm.
0: so how often do you go back to the
2: states I mean normally it would be like once a year you know I have a Son, he's 23. Uh, I want to see him, and he, he sort of wants to see me. <laughs> you know, he's—he's—he's he, he's, he's, he's flexing his independence yeah, as much sure. as he can. But he misses his dad like I miss him. We're—we're we're good yeah. buddies, and uh, that's kind of sad during COVID. But yeah, uh, you know, uh, my cousins are getting married, and. 2022, so I think I should be able to be in America by then, by May of 2022, Mm -hmm. Okay. so I'll have to wait it out. But under normal conditions, you know, my budget, you know, the $1,500 a month, uh, I mean, the miscellaneous setting aside money for travel is not part of that $1,500, but if you did want to do something like that, then you could say, okay, including once a year travel to the U.S., could be 1800 a month something something like that mm-hmm. but under 2000 you can live in Bali and still go to America once a year no problem for one person um, for two people it's even easier because you could share the cost of the residence and you know i mean for example a, a meal uh if you go to a local place could be 3 to 5 dollars a person including wow. a drink uh, if you go to a Western place where you have everything from Australian, uh, uh, Italian, uh, Korean, you know all those places that are not serving rice or or, or noodles, Indonesian <laughs> food, you're going to pay you know seven to eleven dollars per person, oh, so. including a beer or something like.
1: Still, that. inexpensive, yeah.
0: So, so the big yeah. question I always ask is. If I move to Bali, I never have to cook again, right? Because I can That's have that there.
2: And, oh. and just to make, just to be clear on that, um, you have housekeeping staff here, so you don't have to make your bed either, or do, or, <laughs> or, do, or do the laundry. But if you want them to cook Indonesian for extra pay, they're thrilled to wow. you know oh, offer wow. their services. And the other thing you could do, even if you want to make Western food, is if you have them go to the pasar, which is the Mm -hmm. local market, versus the supermarket, Mm -hmm. which is where the tourists go, they can buy the chicken and the eggs and the fresh veggies and the fresh fruit for you. Again, you give them a little something extra every month, and they'll bring back food at their cost to you. Nice. So, you know, you could work the... Work the system a little bit. I, I don't think it's a negative thing to support the local farmers yeah, at, yeah, and absolutely. the pasar, and they don't have to say they're buying for a boule. Boule means foreigner. Okay. Um, and so we, you know, that's how I get seven, you know, seventy percent of my food. I still go to the supermarket for let's say olive oil or mm-hmm. uh, lemons, which is an import. So you're only going to get the locally grown food at the pasar. Okay. But there's quite a variety that they grow here and lots of tropical fruit and things. You know, mango season is just, uh, for me, it's like unbelievable mm. how much I can yeah. try, you know, tropical fruit when it's yeah. seasonal. And oh I goodness. have to learn about certain fruits that have no idea what they are. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'll bet. Uh, white color purple color uh, <laughs> weird names yeah but you can give it a try and, yeah. and it's all reasonably priced
0: okay so let me ask you um the culture it must have been was it a shock for you i mean you you studied eastern you know philosophy and you're probably more i would say versed than than the average american um, so what was that culture difference to you
2: well, we, you know, in America, I would have to say we're in sort of a transactional kind of culture. So if something happens, you know, something you want to do, whether it's go to a store or hire a contractor, fix your plumbing or something, it's, it's a transaction that's on the clock. So, you know, when the plumber comes, there's going to be a minimum fee, whatever, $85 for the first 30 minutes and blah, 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 blah. blah. And by the time he's done, it could be $200, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Here, you hire a fix-it person who's taught himself or he's learned from his dad how to fix the plumbing and stuff like that. He doesn't have a plumbing degree or anything. and He doesn't have a truck. He Mm -hmm. comes in a scooter, so he may have to go back and buy Ah. some Mm parts. So he's going to come assess the situation, hopefully fix it right then. But nine times out of ten, he'll need a part. So then he's going to drive 20 minutes, get the part, come back, fix it. By the time he's done, he's put in maybe two hours, and he's going to charge you labor. You know, between let's just say a hundred thousand rupiah. So again, a uh, uh, hundred and forty thousand is ten dollars. So he's going to charge you seven to eight dollars labor. Wow. Um And and that's you know they're happy that because if they make uh, you know, $20, 25 dollars a day—that's good money for a plumber uh, yeah. or electrician. So you, you have to get used to being around people where um, <clears throat> their their cost of living, their needs are very different. You know, they still they have data on their phone; they could stream, you know, YouTube just like us. But they're paying three dollars a month, not sixty. Um, and you know, they'll have a scooter, but they'll they'll drive that scooter for 20 years. You, you, you can see a lot of old scooters. They know how to repair and upkeep mm-hmm. the scooter. They may not renew the license. They certainly don't have insurance, um, but their cost of transportation, assuming they own the scooter is, you know, 10 to 15, $20 a month to, to get wow. from point A to point B anywhere in Bali. Mm-hmm. Um, Food, they don't go to the supermarket. They go to the pasar. You know, they'll they'll have chicken if they can afford it. They'll have always having rice and noodles. And um, veggies are abundant here and fruit. So being around people that don't have a lot of needs, that means they don't do a lot of transactions. And when they do them, they're not, oh, my hour, my 15 minutes, like a lawyer charges you every 15 Mm -hmm. minutes that would be a very, very foreign concept to Indonesian people. Now there are lawyers here, and they they are starting to learn <laughs> how to charge <laughs> these types of things. But for Westerners, it's it's a you have to start thinking different about uh, when I interact with somebody. It's not transactional. This person. Uh, is going to put two, two or three hours of their life into, into helping me, and it's going to cost me, you know, $15. Um, they ha- have something here called Gojek, which is kind of like Uber, but on a scooter. And they also have other services, GoCar and all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. But the Gojek scooter drivers, you know, you could order, for example, fresh coconut juice, fresh coconut water, uh, so you'll find them on Facebook or something like that. Is there much crime in Bali? That's a good question. Um, there is petty crime in Bali so and not the Balinese primarily because they're Hindu and they believe in karma, which is a philosophy where you the behavior you have in this world will impact the, the, your rebirth. So you need to be a good person in this world so that when you come back, you're even better. Um, And you'll see that there's all kinds of stores here that have statues and things that they don't lock up at night. Um, That, you know, no one's going to steal those because those are the gods, first of all. (laughs) And second of all, the Balinese don't steal. Um, But the workers from uh, Java and other islands come to Bali and come to the tourist areas for, for work. And they will live in these costs, like I mentioned, or some of the construction workers live on site in temporary housing. And uh, during our construction, I was a little bit careless. I had a backup phone uh, that cost me under $100, but it did get stolen. That was the only thing during a year uh, with maybe 30, 40 people on site every day so i would call that petty theft and you just have to be careful about that i I have a safe for my uh documents like my ownership documents of ohana and things like that but big uh thefts here don't happen um they're just looking for phones and Laptops mm-hmm. and things like right. that. So
0: there's not mm-hmm. no physical crime. Like someone's going to come up and
2: no one's going to murder you or anything like that. No, I mean <laughs> the Java Java people here. You know they will they will steal something before they go back to their village. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides whatever income they have, you know if they can grab an extra phone, you know that's just sure. extra money. They may not come back to Bali to work, and they just want as much money as they can before they go home. Uh, but that uh, all petty theft, they're not going to hurt you or
1: anything. Now, so, now I
2: will say that occasionally, if you're driving by in a scooter, especially women, if they're carrying their bag, sometimes they grab the bag. And in that case, the woman might, or, or man, but usually one, might fall off the scooter. So there may be an injury involved, mm-hmm. um, but things like um, rape and things like that is rare. Good, good, good not not zero, but rare, right
0: so,
1: so you can, so you can walk around at night feeling safe
2: oh oh yeah, yeah okay. we can walk in I mean, I walk two or three in the morning, but any time of reasonable night, ten, eleven p m no problem along the beach, whatever
0: so Neil, do you have a car? I mean, do you feel that you no. need a car? oh
2: no we we could hire a driver for the day or or the month, not really by the week. If you're a tourist, you can hire by the week. But for us, it's a choice of a monthly person who would be here all the time. They'd be literally be here waiting for us to go to the grocery store oh. or some families that come for international schools. Mm-hmm. They will have a driver to take their kids back and forth to the school uh, and then take the parents or the family to the beach or to the grocery store and they'll hire a driver. And that'll be... I don't know, $6 million a month, so $400 a month, you get mm-hmm. a driver every day, six days okay. a week, wow. something like that. <laughs> oh, And the wow. average work week is six days, not okay. five.
0: I assume that as a hotel owner that you would have a car because you might need uh, this, you might need we,
2: that. We have a, a, a network of car owners that oh. are happy to come by, like at the drop of a hat. Oh, <laughs> so I we see. Oh, so we can get people to the airport, we can get people here, mm-hmm. or if they want to go to a waterfall or something like that, okay. we can get them here within okay. 30 minutes. Okay. So, and I mean, you- this is what I was talking about with the go check, is that there's a whole culture here of... Mm-hmm. Um, work workers on demand yeah service and mm-hmm. th- it's actually a fabulous thing uh for the indonesians because uh, gojek is an indonesian company i think it's based mm-hmm. in singapore but massive massive employment by i, I don't want to say a million but maybe a million mm-hmm. scooter drivers you know mm-hmm. hundreds wow. of thousands okay. All, okay all the different islands have it
0: okay Um, I just want to cover two more things real quick. One is, um, would you consider Bali elder-friendly?
2: I would say that the, you know, uh, is it elder-friendly? I would say that the orientation has been for people to come here and find a villa and get the help they need to manage day in and day out. So get the gardener, get the housekeeper, maybe get a chef or a cook. Um, and that would all be within the confines of, you know, four walls and and, and a gate, and you come into your own house, and you live your own life, and many Australians, for example, they're the primary um, expats here, they do that, so they look at retiring to Bali like we would look at retiring to Mexico, something like that, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not a community feeling, it's like, you know, my wife and I were going to go retire to Bali. And we're going to go live in our own little cocoon of, of 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 our own villa, and maybe we'll make some friends and all that. and And that's what people have done here. Uh, and there's a few places now that are retirement communities, maybe just two or three or four. But I mean, I'm in. The, I'm interested in building one or or helping co-build it with others because I think there is a need for groups of people. Who are going to get old together but we don't really have i would say we don't have very much of that you know much less than one percent of the people are living in uh, communities
0: okay okay um i think yeah Jean, you had a question yeah
2: um, you, had, you had
1: mentioned before we went on the broadcast that you're you're not so um you don't love the word retire can you talk a little about yeah. that
2: well, yeah, I mean, I'm 63 as I said, and I had, I, I came here with the idea of retiring. So, you know, taking walks, reading books, making tea, you know, going out to dinner or cooking, everything you think about retiring. That's what you know, the classic way. I that was in my mind too. Yeah, you know, okay, I'm retired. At that time, I was six, let's say, 60. Um, but my faculty, my mental faculties, my body, I I walk, you know, up to three or so miles a day, two to three, four miles a day, you know, not extensive like some people, but pretty good, uh, swim usually once a day, um, I'm not super healthy, but I'm healthy, uh, and my brain is working, so, (laughs) so after a while you have to say, you know, uh, how can I, contribute to society on some level, uh, whether it's to other um, barners, or maybe work with locals or volunteer or something. And to me, because I had done some building, I was very curious about the building process here. I used wood and, and two by fours, and we had nail guns and all this stuff in America. Here you build primarily with concrete and bamboo sticks that support the concrete floor, you know, temporarily for two weeks. They they build up uh, uh, a support for this heavy concrete that they're gonna pour. And I just had a curiosity about it. So one thing led to another. And I have, you know, I have a nice little guest house with six rooms. It's very nice, but I don't even I don't like the word retire because I think it means um, heading towards an ending, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. of, of being completely useless. And being useless is, I think, a negative thing and probably makes you live less. So having something meaningful, something that you're doing, it doesn't have to be a business. It doesn't have to be a um, transactional thing uh, volunteering is you know, my, my partner uh, volunteers uh, she's christian so she goes and, and supports these christian efforts for medical care for people who can't afford even the, at the local price they can't afford a particular surgery or something like that she'll help arrange groups of people to fund that
0: oh, nice
2: uh, so it's just something that gives people meaning but retire is this word that in my mind is like okay find a place like i did that has beautiful sunset and you can read to your heart's delight and and the day can unfold you know very casually and I, you're in this idyllic setting and and it's lush and beautiful around you and you could watch the rice fields go from seedling to harvesting and oh. it's, it's it's all very beautiful yeah but then you wake up and say what else can I do? You know, what, what, you know, what, else is, what else am I capable of doing? So part of it was writing a blog you know, about retiring and what that's like. Part of it was building this Ohana retreat. And I think everybody will find that thing once they, once they do the important thing, which is get your cost of living down so it's affordable. So that retirement, not the word retirement, But independent living, let's say. Mm -hmm. So can you live independently when you're 58 or when you're 62 or whatever the the age is that's right for you? Once you make that decision, whether it's moving your stuff or uh, having an estate sale, once you've made that decision, you are going to minimize your expenses to some extent if -hmm. if you have to. And then you've got your basis covered but now you have a new problem. So you're going to wake up every day and you you don't have the job. You might have your <laughs> social security, you might have your uh, you know, in, income sources, uh, but then what is it that you're going to do? And that, you know, if you live in an area that's not very expensive, that means there's no pressure for you to figure this out. And that's the beauty of living in, in another country that's mm. a
0: really good
2: point that's not expensive like america in america i always felt the pressures on you know mm-hmm. if i am going to do something that's why i did spec housing you know mm-hmm. okay i'm going to turn this thing around try to make a hundred thousand dollars this year and i made one year i made 58 the other year i made 90 something mm-hmm. you know i didn't quite meet my goals but i was making a living but i was working you know i was, yeah. was yeah. kind of working And it wasn't relaxed. And I was in a strange place living in a a rental with shaggy, a shag carpet (laughs) from the 70s or 80s. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was filled with sand and dust. And it's like, oh, is this the life I really want? and it turns out that it was and and, and I'm happily now, you know, transitioned, but it took me a long time. When I was 18 and I went to Europe, I said I want to live in another country. It took me over 40 years <laughs> to figure that out. But now I figured it out. So I, Yeah, and you're you, young.
0: I mean by my I, standards, I'm, I'm yeah. Sort of young. Mm-hmm. And I'm
2: glad you interviewed me so that I could sort of you know, say whatever lessons I learned. And part of the lesson is, don't give up. you know yeah. I, I, I really spent four decades not focused. And then I was like, now I can, you know now I can really live somewhere and 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 the pressure's off. you know, nice. even if during Covid, I had zero guests, I knew I was going to survive this. I'm not going to make money. I'm gonna actually lose a little money yeah. <laughs> every month, but I, I'm pre- I'm okay. I'm prepared. Right. I, right. And, and i've minim- I've minimized my expenses so that I can manage this thing. Mm-hmm. So that's what people it's a new sense of uh, freedom, I guess, is what you could say.
0: right, right. Well, that's wonderful. You know that mm-hmm. that's really good, good, wise advice. and for it's for not us, easy. Yeah. no. I mean, it, I think it's going to take time. I, you know, work um, I've always had, or maybe it was self-imposed stress. And that's one right. thing that ages you. I know um, it brings on health issues. The, st- I mean, stress has got to be the worst thing for anybody, for the human soul. Uh,
2: absolutely. You absolutely. Know? And, 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 and- knowing not knowing that you have the stress is almost a incentive you know to say okay this is part of my life now i have this stress Mm -hmm. how can i make my life less stressful and it has to be a set of steps Mm -hmm. uh, because you're not going to do it instantly there's no instant switch right so in my case it took three years to find the place and you know then i had to deal with moving my stuff or not but but eventually after let's say four years or so i'm in a new groove you know i'm I'm definitely in a less stressful space in my Mm. life Mm. and that's four years of working on it (laughs) once i even figured out that i can do it it still took four years now people can do it in less i think you could do it in a year year and a half if you really have it together (laughs) but but it's going to be a process and it's going to be a process of change you know uh, do i do i run off to the supermarket and buy the high price thing or do i wait until my my uh, ho- you know uh, housekeeper can go to the pasar for me and and get it you know a little cheaper it's not a big difference in price mm-hmm. but if i wait you know I'm not in a rush right i mm-hmm. just have all day to do whatever <laughs> so i'll right. just wait and, and get the cheaper thing you right know? and and that's an each of those tiny steps make a difference you know yeah. do i need do i need a new t-shirt now or can i wait you know mm-hmm. six more months or whatever yeah. uh, and then i'll you know i'll do it when i have to do it but i'm not crazy like okay i gotta buy it now right. and, you know pay later and, and then the bills are too yeah. high and yeah. now the stress <laughs> is the stress is here and you don't want that, so right. it's, a, it's a series of change changes that you must make. But then they're not they're not re- it's not rocket science. It's not genius level stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just step by step.
0: Right. It's getting anyone can do. It's slowing down the hamster wheel. Down. I mean, <laughs> that's how I feel wheel. right now. You
2: too. You're actually in a very, very, very good situation with your retirement package. Mm-hmm. There are some places, there are communities in Southeast, I, I think it's in Virginia or something that are lovely retirement communities with massive areas for walking and, and tennis yeah. and golf. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, you're, you're not going to be, it's not going to be Bali cost of living, mm-hmm. but if you have health care covered in America, you can kind of wipe that bill off yeah. the, off the plate. Mm-hmm. And then you can put a little bit more money into housing and things like that. But, you know, you you guys could, I'm sure you could easily do it because the health care is the big killer yeah. in, in America.
0: Yeah. yeah, we've got that. So, so
2: yeah, so just make your list, you know, go through a spreadsheet. I I, I, I started with a spreadsheet. You know, what, do, yeah. what am I paying for? You know, what am I paying My, for? everything? Yeah. I've
0: yeah. been doing that the last two years. Good. So Good.
2: that's a big help.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. And let me know. Let me
2: know wherever you end up. Yeah. No,
0: absolutely. We're going to stay in touch. But um, we (laughs) want to thank you for all your time. And I'm sorry about the Wi-Fi. And, uh, but it, no, it's been really great. It's been really great meeting you. It, it really oh, it, Same here. Yeah, it's really and, nice. And if and you don't
2: retire in Bali, if you happen to visit Asia, swing by and, and oh. if you don't stay with us, just at least come say hello. Yeah, will do. All right. Oh, take thank care. you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. Have a good day. Bye.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at Our website is retirethere.com, and you may follow us on Twitter at retirethere. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well.